0: You're listening to The Morning Joe Ranch Show. A dig deep, embrace yourself, and enjoy The Wild Ride podcast. Topics of politics, climate, economics, life, and the pursuit to complain about everything. Hey, all right, I'm just going to jump into it. So I have a, I'm going to try to cram a lot of stuff into this episode, but I feel like it's all pretty important. Um, first thing, I'll have all the articles that I've quoted from here in the podcast show notes so you guys can listen to it, or I'm sorry, you guys can look at it. Um, first topic going to be farmland erosion. Second part's going to be work and mental health. It's kind of going to touch base on, I forgot an article to add the last podcast and this one. I really wanted to share and I forgot to so I but I found another article to kind of go along with it that I think is pretty important and it kind of goes into the anti-work movement and, and I'm not trying to push it an agenda here it's more just like open thought on like what's happening with stuff and so work and mental health and then the next topic I'm going to go into will be mental health problems in general and it kind of goes hand in hand with the following two segments that I talk about. And then the last one, I'm not gonna do a huge thing on this right now. I'm gonna I think I'm gonna kind of just graze over it and because I, I have a little bit of statistics, but I don't have like the actual knowledge behind it yet to actually go into it, but I kind of want to touch base on it a little bit because it goes with work stuff too. So anyway, the farmland erosion stuff. This article came up in a group I'm a part of. Um it's from fizz.org, phys.org. P-H-Y-S.org. And it's pretty disturbing. And I'm, I'm bringing this up because I think I mentioned it earlier on the podcast. It was probably like 10 or 15 episodes ago about topsoil erosion and how people really aren't like, I know I sound like a doomsdayer. I'm not trying to. I'm. This is the headline. Cornbelt farmland has lost a third of its carbon rich soil. I'm going to read a little bit from this. And it's pretty disturbing. Um. More than one-third of the corn belt in the Midwest, nearly 100 million acres, has completely lost its carbon-rich topsoil, according to University of Massachusetts Amherst research that indicates the U.S. Department of Agriculture has significantly underestimated the true magnitude of farmland erosion. Um, In a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, researchers led by UMass Amherst graduate student Evan Thaler, along with Professor Isaac Larson and Quinn Yu in the Department of Geosciences developed a method using satellite imagery to map areas in agricultural fields in the Corn Belt of the Midwestern U.S. that have no remaining A-horizon soil. The A-horizon is the upper portion of the soil that is rich in organic matter, which is critical for plant growth because of its water and nutrient retention properties. The researchers then used high-resolution elevation data to extrapolate the satellite measurements across the corn belt and the true magnitude of erosion. I'm going to kind of skip over a little bit. It's not a huge article, but it's pretty disturbing. Um, productive agricultural soils are vital for producing food for growing global population and for sustaining rural economies. However, de- degradation of soil quality by erosion reduces crop yields. Thallier and his colleagues estimate the erosion of the A-horizon has reduced corn and soybean yields, by about six percent, leading to nearly three billion dollars in annual economic losses for farmers across the Midwest. There's more to this; it's not a ton, but what I really wanted to talk, and I'll I'll include this in the source because I'm sure I'm going to have people that are going to be like, "Oh, it's anti," you know, Cli- Look at the weather. Look at the weather. Like, I'm not here to debate you about weather. We're all going. Like, you can just look at Texas right now. This is like. In history, this is like the coldest Texas has ever gotten in the southern part of Texas. It's fucking insanity. And again, it, we are depleting. We, like future generations are fucked. And for those of you that are in my generation, I'm an I'm a older millennial. I'm almost 40 years old. Still consider millennial on the border of Gen X or whatever. We are fucked royally. And the generations under us. If you guys think that you can grow food and that's why everybody, that's why I keep saying the kicking of the can, like what happened in the pandemic should have been a wake up call for everybody. Not, and I don't mean it in the, the Democrats or Republicans, it's everybody that should have been a wake up call. We are destroying this planet. It's insanity to think that we're not. And they pin it on people like you and me. And they make it like I talked about before in a podcast. Plastic recycling, majority of plastic doesn't get recycled. They don't tell you that. I did a podcast on it like 10 or 15 episodes ago. There's a there's a documentary about it. And the recycling plants say. There are people that run the places that are like majority of the plastics, they just get thrown away anyway because we can't re, we can't recycle them. So it just gets put back into the garbage landfills and, you know, and we ship our garbages off to Asia and all these, these poor countries. That's why there's like floating plastic islands in the ocean because these countries just are polluting it. We sell it like we, or we sell them for cheap to the plastic. I'm getting past this article or whatever. The point is, is that with this erosion, you're, you're, you're not getting water retention, which is huge for crops. Huge because that means you have to water them even fucking more and you're wasting more water to water more plants that aren't going to grow as well. They're not, the nutrient soil is not going to be there. Topsoil is going. Topsoil is huge when you're growing. This is why it's pretty important. If everybody started their own garden in their backyard and communities act, this is where, and I'm not, okay, this is where they get bad definitions of it, but in some aspects of it, A community which gets sometimes integrated with communism um, because of the similar name. It's like I'm not vouching for communism. I think community is a huge fucking thing, though. We saw it when we first migrated to America with smaller communities and they work together. That's how we thrived into America. And I think if more communities started doing local gardening, like everybody did in their backyards, you can actually start like your own produce trade within your own community, You'd be saving money. You'd be using better, like, natural or grown food. Anyway, that's beyond the topic. This is really disappointing, though. And I think if you want more research into it, I would suggest going into it. Um, Because the topsoil erosion, they originally said 60 years by, like, which was a high estimate. I think now they're saying that it's dropped down significantly. I, and I don't have the stats with me right now because I, I forgot the the, um, documentary. I posted, I think, in a previous podcast. But I believe now they're saying like 2030, 2040, we're going to be pretty much run out of topsoil, which means good luck trying to grow co- crops in what we're doing. And this article talks about it. So I don't know. Um a hundred million acres. And then you have Bill Gates buying, like I talked about in a previous podcast episode, Bill Gates buying those. Um, he, he's now the biggest farm owner um, in the world. So welcome to corporate Amer- or corporations. And for those people that are like, Bill Gates isn't a bad guy. You, you know, I don't know him personally, but even the vaccination stuff for me with him, where I'm not saying he's trying to do a bad thing, but... He was born to a rich family. I still think he's an asshole because he sells his books rather than gives them out for free. Like, how much money do you really need before? And if and if it's climate stuff that he, like he just it just keeps selling it. It just is constantly selling. That's just my opinion. You don't have to listen to that part. All right. So I'm going to get off that topic. It's depressing to me. And and this is going to come back up later in the podcast episode because that comes into my mental health problem, comes up with this part. But the next thing I want to do is work and mental health. This is an NPR article from February 15th. Millions are out of a job, yet some employers wonder, why can't I find workers? All right. At a time when millions of Americans are unemployed businessmen, Bill Martin has a hatch or has a head-scratching problem. He's got plenty of jobs, but few people willing to take them. I keep hearing about all these unemployed people, Martin says. I certainly can't find any of these folks. Um, Martin helps run MA Industries, a plastic manufacturing company in Peachtree City, Georgia. The company makes products used in medical industry, specifically in things like coronavirus tests and vaccine manufacturers and development. Um, I'm going to skip up to a little bit of this article. Uh, Some industries are thriving and eager to hire, which should be welcome. An economy that has recovered only a little over half of 22 million jobs lost during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I wanted to get to the part. Martin says he's tried to hire, tried it all to hire workers. His company has offered higher wages, even even posted good old-fashioned we're hiring signs. Now, it doesn't say how much he's actually offering to pay people. This is the part of the article that doesn't really say that. So this is my thing. As somebody who is unemployed, so I don't need a lot of money to survive. I've kept my... I'm fortunate. I've kept my... my I'm a minimalist. I've kept my cost of living down low. But I'm not going to take some shit job that doesn't want to pay me insurance or benefits wants to pay me $12 an hour because their original price is $10 an hour or something, and then consider it to be a good job where it's like, dude, I can't live off of $12 an hour. Like, I have a kid. My, my pay was way over that. So, and I'm not asking for people to hand me money, but this is the disconnect of, that's great, you have jobs open, but you're not paying people a living wage. So people like me are looking at it and it's like, well, fuck you, I'm not going to like... I don't mind changing into a different industry, but if you're going to pay me $12 an hour, I can't do that. Like I have to provide food and everything cost of living is going up. So while you think you're providing people with good pay, it's like like it. that's why people can't take the jobs. You're asking people who have college-educated degrees you know, and it's just like – and again, I get it. People are like, well, a degree doesn't automate. No shit. I get that. But when you're asking people to spend $100,000 on a college degree and then you want to pay them $12 an hour and say, well, I've got jobs for you. You could work 40, you know, 40 hours a week on my line making plastics. It might kill you in the long run. I, you know, I don't. It, it drives me nuts to hear this stuff. Again, that's my opinion. You could be different than me. That's fine. But that's my perspective as an unemployed person who's like, I'm not asking for a free fucking handout, but I'm not going to work a job that I can't even afford to pay for shit. And my cost of living is fucking low. Let me tell you, (laughs) there's people who listen to this that know my mortgage payment and are like, holy shit, you're lucky. I'm like, yeah, I know. But I also, I, I don't own a huge house. I don't have shit tons of overhead because I don't, I have one car that I've, Paid off. Like, I don't want debt, you know, and that's not me bragging. It's like just saying, like, I find it bullshit, though, that that's like, okay, like, I didn't bust my ass for 10 to 15 years in my field to, like, you know, to make more than $12 an hour. Give me a break. Like, come on. Not saying that this guy's not trying to help, but there's a point where it's like, there's a disconnect. There's a major disconnect with how employers view you know lazy employees it's like we're not fucking lazy but I also don't like I don't, I don't want a work shit job to make $12 an hour if that's what you're paying like what's your, what's your idea of good pay you didn't put it in here so how do the fuck do we know you could have raised it 50 cents I've known bosses that have done that that like act like they're paying better because they raised your pay 50 cents like dude 50 cents give me a break I don't know if that's what he's doing, but I'm just saying that. Going into that, this is the next part where the work, like that guy just brought up in that article. That was an NPR article. All these articles have been put in there. This one goes into, um, it's called um, acorns.com. It's Grow Acorns. And again, you guys don't have to agree with this. I don't care. But this kind of goes into the anti-work movement a little bit. And it follows off of this last article I just talked about. Headline says work is the single most important way of proving your worth in the US. Professor says and it make and it's making Americans miserable. In the US one expert says the more you work the the better you the person you are. The better person you are. Um so I'm going to read a little bit of this too. In the early 2000s, Jennifer Sherman, Sherman, a professor of sociology at Washington State University, went to study a poverty-stricken mountain town in Northern California for her thesis. The town had been stripped of its main source of jobs by an environmental ruling that shut down its logging industry, and she planned to look at the ruling's effects on marriage and family. Instead, what she found upon meeting folks on the ground was that every interview people just talked about their own work ethic— somebody else lacking work ethic, or the value of hard work, she tells Grow. Even in the absence of jobs, work remained key in measuring human value. That is fucking critical. Um, With whatever external proof they could find. People really, really did make the big show of letting me know that. I'm a worker, she says. Um, I'm going to skip to another part of this. Uh, Sorry, I was trying to find it. Um... That's particularly difficult now during the coronavirus pandemic with, when so many millions of people have been laid off. The problem with connecting work and worth, experts say, is that it's worse that it's than the impact of job loss. Losing your job in America doesn't just mean struggling to pay bills and figuring it out. How are you going to get health insurance? Um, it can also be a blow to your understanding of who you are in the world and why you matter. Unemployed Americans report depression, shame, and self-hatred. I can vouch for that. Uh, and I'm not, you know, it's it's a, it's a wave. It comes in waves. A layoff in the U.S. can be challenged to mental health and well-being. Without their jobs, Sherman's subjects, both the Northern California loggers and those she's interviewed since talk about depression. They talk about shame. They talk about self-hatred, she says. It's not simply about you, can you afford your day-to-day ex- existence, but about are you worthy of human existence? A loss this deep can cause anxiety, as she says, Depression on a societal level. If work is so overwhelming in value, uh, uh, so overwhelming of value, um, when it's not available, that's when we see social pathologies develop. This can include drug abuse, alcoholism, and even suicide. Rinse, um, rinse, lather, repeat. It's constant because then they get hit you hooked on on drugs with pharmaceutical stuff that you can't afford. It's like, again, the symptom, it's just, it's just insanity. So mental health is, is critical in work. So going back to the NPR article, it's like, yeah, that's great. You have jobs, but you're not offering health insurance. You're not offering a living, an actual living wage. And then you expect people who are like me that have been in the work industry for shit. I've been working since I was 14 as a paper boy, um, and then you just expect me to take a $12 an hour job, no life, no health insurance. Like, great, you have a job, but then you sit there and say that that's a living wage. But then, you you know, again, like, and I'm not saying people who start businesses shouldn't make money, but there comes a point where it's like, you know, anyway, I think it's extremely valid to talk about this stuff. Okay. Let me go into the next thing because I'm just getting more and more agitated as I'm reading this. So mental health problems. This is my next um, spiel I want to kind of go into. This was an article from thewalrus.ca, which I believe is Canada. Therapy for the end of the world. Anxiety over the climate crisis is spreading like wildfire. Psychologists are just trying to figure out how to help. So... Let me just read a little bit of this. I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer. I'm not trying to be a nihilist. It's like people pay attention to your community and the people around you. Look at the signs. Um, I don't know how to say this person's name, but all right. I'm going to read a little bit. of. It's like so depressing, but at the same time, I feel like it needs to be said. So um, I don't know how to say this person's name, Bethuel Nick. Nakanga is a mental health expert who has provided psycho- psychological support to more than 4000 Hurricane Dorian survivors since September 2019. They say the most common effects that survivors of cat- cat- catastrophes like the one like this one report are insomnia, depression and feeling uh, re-traumatized every time the wind is strong. What's clear from observation is the excessive drinking and drug consumption that many survivors don't want to talk about. A 2017 report From the American Psychological Association titled Mental Health and Our Changing Climate details this kind of fallout, describing how PTSD, suicide, suicide, and depression, compounded stress, domestic abuse, child abuse, and substance abuse often spike after climate-linked calamities. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit over here. Last spring, University of Holinsky researcher Panu I can't say these people's names, Pahakala, (laughs) wrote a piece for the BBC that explored this growing phenomenon. An environmental theologian, he described how many people even far from the front lines of climate change are increasingly being forced to confront the idea of their own vulnerability because, quote, the world is revealed to be much more tragic and fragile than people thought it was, end quote. This profound disruption then sends them into a process of mourning the future they believed would come, a future of ecological stability and which they now know won't. In 2019, Yale Program on Climate Change Communication mapped the opinions of more than 9,000 Canadians and 64% responded that they think climate change will start to harm people living in Canada within the next 10 years. A national opinion survey of 2,000 people carried out by Hibiscus Data that same year showed that one in four Canadians think about climate change often are getting really anxious about it. A similarly sized 2020 survey conducted by one poll revealed that 78% of Generation Z in the U.S. do not plan on having kids because of climate change. While 71% of millennials in the U.S. say that climate change has negatively affected their mental health. Yes, yes. Stress levels are on the rise and young people who feel betrayed by older generations that aren't cleaning up their own mess are the most susceptible. As one young climate striker sign put it, quote, we won't die from old age, we'll die from climate change, end quote. Another asked, quote, why should I study for a future I won't have, end quote. I'm going to stop it right there because this is depressing and really resonates a lot with me with This whole idea of, like, it's a fucking struggle for me sometimes to talk to people. Just this loofness of thinking that, like, this doesn't exist. I brought it up in the first article with the soil erosion. I've brought it up with mental health with jobs that are just pointless and endless. Like, the guy was hiring for plastic stuff. It's all this it just adds into it and we're all just sitting here as a younger generation like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, this isn't life. I probably should end that segment because it's really frustrating me when I try to talk to some of the older generation people and they really don't get it. And, and how it's a struggle. It's an absolute fucking struggle with it. And it's, it's just sad to me. It's sad that people aren't really understanding that. You know? And we just bury our heads in the sand. You know? And it's not... And this problem is simply too big for any one nation to tackle. This would require coordination never seen among every major industrial economy on the face of the earth. Every. And and we're not doing it like the Paris climate agreement sounds great, but there's it's it's again. And people sit there and say, well, why, why would the elites or why would the politicians not want to fix this? Because they're in the same boat everybody else is in. They're in denial. They don't. And they're all older. They're all old, way over. The, half of them are in their 80s. Joe Biden's fucking 78 years old. Trump was, what, 77, 76? McConnell's 82? Nancy Pelosi's 78, I think? Uh, Lindsey Graham's 70-something? They're all past it. They don't care. They don't. And they silence the ones that do. And this isn't a progressive versus conservative thing. This is seriously fucked up. And people are ignoring it. And it's sad to me. And I, I'm a huge advocate for mental health as somebody who's gone through shit. And, and we need, like, I, I, but it, it's just insanity to think that uh, I'm getting way off on topic. It just makes me so angry because this is true. It's why younger generations get silenced because they sit there and say, you guys have no idea. That's not true at all. These people are struggling. These kids need help. We need help. I'm an adult and I'm like, holy shit. And I look at my kid and I have to talk to her daily about this stuff. And I make her aware of, you know, why it's important. You know what's happening. And it's not to make her depressed. It's so that she's aware and she knows how to handle it as best as she can. It's going to be really hard to see people get really uncomfortable here in the next honestly next couple years it's i don't know how else to put it that's why i again at the beginning of this podcast i said it it i'm not here to be a nihilist it's like things are going to get uncomfortable and it and it's like hope for the worst but or hope for the best plan for the fucking worst though like seriously guys i'm not making this shit up And the scientists get silenced. And this is why we had during the pandemic, the anti-maskers versus the pro-maskers versus the... It's all fucking bullshit. Because we don't listen to the actual people who know what they're talking about. We listen to stupid, dumbass politicians that have no fucking clue. And don't care about you because they're making money. They're comfortable. They're going to get very uncomfortable here soon. Like we all are. But it's not coming for them first. It's coming for... The poor working and middle class first, and they're going to keep telling you everything's okay. My last thing I just want to touch on, and I'm not going to sit on this for a long time. It's another depressing story, is pensions. Nobody's talking about this, the future pension problem. And I'm not going to touch on this very much. This is probably just going to be two or three minutes. And um, in America, especially, there's a huge problem. In I'm from Chicago, and let me tell you, they are fucked, fucked with pensions. They have no idea what they're going to do with that. And as soon as boomers start retiring, that state is going to be fucked royally. And not sure what to do. The, let's take an example here. It's like Spain. Spain's got a pretty bad. And, and I'm going to give some statistics, but... Don't quote me on these. I have to kind of research some of these, but these are some that I found a little bit. So by 2050, it's estimated that for every pensioner in Spain, there will only be 1.3 workers. It's currently around three workers to one pensioner. And the government is currently having to conjure financial magic tricks just to pay out on 80% final salary pensions. It's exacerbated by the country's history of dictatorship and then trying to join the EU. It has very little in the way of pension pot <laughs> using taxing. It's basically using tax income to pay direct to pensioners instead of being able to use profit from investments. Um, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to make this doomsday. I'm just trying to point out this. People wake up, wake up, wake up. Pull yourself out from either side and just look at the bigger picture because that's the only way this is going to change. And it's not – the hopium for anybody that it should be is we're not – we're not going to – we're not – we are not stopping climate change. We can slow it down, but it's going to take a mass effort. And it's corporations that have to do it. And it won't happen unless we get pissed off enough. And I don't see people getting pissed off enough. Again, too many people are comfortable. And I'm not meaning that in a mean way. And it's like, all right, I don't know. This was a really long podcast. I didn't mean to make it nihilistic, but I felt like a lot of this stuff needed to be said. Um, And it's not political for me. It's data, it's science. I don't know, it's how I feel, especially about the work stuff, the job stuff. It's like, we're supposed to be living in the greatest time and yet what are we doing this is ridiculous we have a depression on our hands you know the best quote from fight club for me is the greatest depression is our lives we all sit there and pretend like it's not it is so i don't know i think too many people value put the value of who they are as a job rather than as a person I hope you all have a good one. This week's podcast was brought to you by ConnectGo Internet Inc. Bringing your business to the future, connectgo.com.